Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden and Sam Chamlin. Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast. We're thrilled today to have Bethany Ridmark, who is an eighth-generation Oregonian, a landscape architect, a food-loving community organizer, and a forever traveler at heart. And I am blessed to call her a good friend and a writing buddy. Bethany has been featured in print and video and web by the Rolling Stone, the Oregonian, cooking up a story, the Huffington Post, the Associated Press, and is the founding co-host of Portland's PDX Food Swap, which we're going to enjoy hearing more about today. I met Bethany a few years ago at the Festival of Faith and Writing, where we shared a house with 18 or so other women. <laughs> a lot of ladies. <laughs> a lot of them. And um, I think my first like, real memory was bonding, waiting in line for the shower, which ended up being a cold shower, <laughs> and discussing the wonderful rainy Northwest. So it's a pleasure to have you on our, the show today, Bethany. Thank you so much. This is really fun. Thanks for having me. But one of the things that I noticed in your bio is that I think being from Oregon is really important to you. So um, you are from Portland and are an eighth generation Oregonian. Uh, it's such a beautiful place out there. So want to know a little bit about why uh, Oregon is so important to you and what other geographies um, do you count as important to you, whether they be spiritual, social, or indeed uh, geographical? Mm, that's a good question. You know, I love Oregon and I didn't even realize why until I was older. You know, it was just kind of in my bones and obviously in my blood. I grew up here. Um, it's from a family that's had roots here for a long, long time. So it was it was everything that I knew growing up. Um, I didn't realize how good I had it. I just knew that life was good. You know, we had the mountains and we had the forest and we had the ocean that was an easy drive and we had the high desert that was a pretty easy drive. You know, it's like you're living in the middle of uh, a quick trip to almost any landscape that you might love, which probably fed into my uh, desire to become a landscape architect and to keep working with outdoors. I, I just um, was grateful to grow up on a farming family too. So the geography of um, cultivation and watching the seasons change and working with the land, um, all those things mattered to me kind of, uh, they mattered to me most when I was young watching my dad deal with, you know, the weather forecasts and paying attention to things that were far beyond our control as he uh, navigated being a farmer and, and taking care of our family. And my mom was a teacher, so she taught us all sorts of things about uh, the history of the area and the Oregon Trail and, you know, just kind of all of those pieces that built my understanding of the world living in Oregon. Um, and it wasn't until later when I, when I traveled and I went away and I started to connect the dots and realize like, oh, the, like my second favorite place in the universe is New Zealand, but it has so many similarities to Oregon. There's so many of these things that match up. And I think it's, um, it's incredible to recognize, like I said, how, how beautiful of a place I come from. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that helps kind of answer the question about where I came from geography-wise. I think the um, maybe non-earth uh, and water geographies that I can think to ascribe to my own upbringing would be like, uh, you know, the homeschool community. I was, I was a homeschool kid. I grew up um, in a really tight-knit community of a lot of people that love to gather their, their large families up and hang out together and, um, you know, exchange information. We did a lot of cooperative classes, cooperative learning, a lot of hands-on learning. Um, I think that's probably what gave me so much uh, joy early on too with food. I, I got to just play with it a lot, whether it was part of unit studies for school or whether it was just helping out um, with canning peaches in the summer and showing up at the local orchards to, um, to gather produce um, or to help my dad plant the garden out back. Um, 
I, I know I've told Anna before in a lot of my travel stories and my love of foreign foods too. You know, we, we um, as kids got to do unit studies where we would prepare recipes from different countries around the world and, um, and just have fun with flavors and, and foods. So all of those things were already there in who I was as a little kid. And then um, I grew up to eventually move up to the, country, or to the city. I, I grew up about 30 miles south of Portland out in the farmland. Um, but I grew up and came to the city and then in my 20s ended up really excited to go backward to those roots of, of um, food prep and, and then later sharing it with my friends and with new friends. So. Well, let's just dive right into what are the ways I would love to hear more about the food swap and how you began, how that began and sharing food with friends, how that's built community um, in the Portland area and in your life. Yeah, I I love the food swap. It's my little it's my little baby that I didn't expect to grow up so so well. It's been so much fun. We're in our eighth year now, I think, of of swapping together as a community. Um, but it started. My my girlfriend Emily and I were both um, in our early twenties. Our husbands met at Multnomah uh, University, and so we got to know each other through that connection. And Emily and I were young and idealistic, and thought, let's take on the world and learn about sustainable living. Let's learn about how we can. Um, you know, just be better stewards of resources, how we can live in this crazy, fun Portland city and have fun together. Um, so we started a group called Sustainable Food for Thought, and we would invite girlfriends to come over once a month and read a book together or learn about a project, some sort of, um, you know, I don't know if it was homemaking or if it was just kind of, you know, food prep and lifestyle and cutting down waste and being economical and whatever it was, whether it was soaking beans or, or whatever. And I invited her... Um, to come with me and we went to my mom's house and canned peaches one time. I just remember that having, you know, being, being kind of excited to go back and relearn what my mom had done with me every summer when I was growing up. And then I'd kind of forgotten when I went off to college and didn't have to think about it. And, and then I realized when I was however old I was in my, in my early twenties that, you know, this is, it's really cool. It's fun to be able to work on these food projects and, and bring it and put it on my own pantry shelf and have it for myself and know that it came from a local orchard and, um, and it was really fun to do. Um, but then Emily and I were talking and she had, she had done a bunch of pickle making. She and her husband made amazing pickles. And so we would kind of trade back and forth a little bit, but we talked about, Hey, we've got all of this stuff in our pantries. There's no way our husbands and I can, you know, our husbands and, and us can eat them all ourselves in one season. Um, let's get together. Let's trade with each other. Let's invite some of the other girls from the sustainable food for thought group. Let's just see what happens. And in the course of conversation, we decided like, why not, um, our houses were both pretty small. So why not find a, a place that was a little bit more roomy to gather? And then at that point too, it was early days of Twitter and it was so fun to kind of just put messages out into the world and see who showed up. So we started advertising a little bit on Twitter um, with a hashtag, you know, and, uh, and sure enough, the very first swap that we held, we approached a little brand new store that had opened in my Montevilla neighborhood in Portland. And they had a little bit of extra room. And I just said, Hey, if we show up and have our swap, you know, we can hopefully bring some new eyes to your store and, It'd be just so much fun to do. Would you mind? And she loved it. I loved the idea. Welcomed us in. And the first night that we hosted, um, I don't remember now exactly how many people came, but it must have been 25 or 30 um, that showed up. And that was the, the first night, too, when Cooking Up a Story came in. And Rebecca, who runs that project, um, she and her husband did a little mini documentary on the evening and filmed it and did a few interviews and just kind of caught that very first night's fun. And so she put that little video together and put it out into the world. And it Again, like the magic of Twitter never ceases to amaze me. Anna, I owe my friendship to you to Twitter, right? Because I saw, I think, Holly's <laughs> post about the Shared House at Festival of Faith yeah. and Writing. So, um, so that little video went out to the world and ended up catching the eye of a woman down in L.A. who just did start another swap. 
I had been in touch with a woman who had been um, swapping in Brooklyn and then she moved to Austin and she'd start a little swap there. So the three of us kind of started chatting and a couple of other ladies. Um, and the next thing you know, the whole thing kind of blew up and people started swaps all over the place and just reveled in the fun of bringing food together that we had somehow had a hand in preparing. So what do people bring to the food swap? I mean, do you have do people bring their produce as well as their, the things they've preserved? Like what, it, what might you expect to find there? You, anything that you've had a hand in making or growing or foraging, that's kind of what we define as, um, as something to bring to a food swap. Uh, we'll get folks that bake amazing breads. We'll get pickles and preserves. We'll get fresh foods. We'll get, um, you know, I love it when people bring homemade cheeses, cool dairy products, um, Got lots of uh, home brews and liqueurs. This is, of course, Portland, so the home brew scene is terrific. We'll get all sorts of goodies like that. Um, forage stuff. People will go out and they'll bring like lovely chanterelle mushrooms in the right season. We'll get. Oh my goodness, this is one of my favorite stories. This fellow came in this last year for the first time, and he grew up in Fiji, and he lives in Oregon now. But he goes out to the Oregon coast and goes like spear fishing, and he'll bring fresh speared fish back to the swap. It's amazing. amazing. Um, the first swap that we ever had, uh, one of the women showed up and brought elk that she had pressure canned elk that her husband had, you know, shot out in the wilds of Oregon. Um, so we literally, we'll get everything we'll get. I've, I've brought raspberry starts before, like when I've been cleaning my garden and I've had to kind of thin things out, but I have raspberry canes that are going bananas. It's super easy to pot that up and show up at a swap and give it to someone else who is not going to go down to the nursery and pay $12.95 for a plant. You know, they just got it for free. Um, other folks have brought in uh, their tomato starts, you know, at this time of year when everyone's not everyone, I shouldn't say it's everyone, but when a couple of people are getting their seeds started and getting uh, little seedlings growing, how wonderful it is for them to be able to show up with a dozen little starts and trade them with a bunch of us that haven't had time to start those starts. And then fast forward in September, I have a whole armful of tomatoes that I just grew from the other swappers plant. And now I get to bring it back in my salsa that I'm going to trade with the next person. You know, it's just, it's wonderful. It's kind of this perpetuating uh, rainbow of foods. I'm trying to think of some of the other most exciting things. I mean, candy makers, we'll get folks that'll bring in their delicious artisan caramels. And uh, this last time we had a swap a couple, uh, two Sundays ago, and I came home with this amazing like butterscotch ice cream topping that my husband just loves. It's homemade and delicious. and wonderful nothing at all like Nestle <laughs> I shouldn't say that maybe you can cut the trash talk on the big brands but <laughs> but it is pretty fun to get the real deal that you know somebody made uh made themselves in their own kitchen um so really that's the qualifier as long as you've had a hand in preparing it we want you to bring it for those of us or our listeners who may not have ever experienced a food swap like yeah. like what happens like how does it on how does it unfold <laughs> We joke every time and say it's a little bit of controlled chaos. Um, and, and we also say it's a little bit like that village marketplace kind of situation. Imagine several hundred years ago when people are just kind of showing up and you have to rely on conversation with each other. You have to rely on like, hey, this is what I have. This is what you have. We do try to help um, guide the event a little bit. And I, I tend to describe it as a three-part thing where the first third of our time, people show up and kind of claim a spot on the table and set their wares out so that you can see what they have. And then we provide, I'll call them little um, swap forms. And they're just little pieces of paper where you can write your name and you can write a description of what, you're, what you've brought. And then underneath there are several blank lines for, um, for people to eventually, in a minute I'll tell you about that, but eventually people can come and kind of sign up, quote unquote, and say they're interested in swapping with you. So the first third is set up. The second third 
um, once everyone has had a chance to kind of settle, um, the second third is taking your pen or pencil around. And if you want, if you're interested in swapping what you brought for something that you see in front of you on the table, you can write your name down, write a little description of what you're willing to trade and go on. And that we uh, like to say that it's not binding at all. It's just a way to kind of get the juices flowing. It helps people understand that, oh, there's interest out there. And oh, that person might be, um, might be interested in sharing what they have. Or oh, this, you know, like I've gotten half a dozen different people to to comment on my goods, but this one item right here, like, oh, I would just be so overjoyed to take that home. So when it's time to actually swap, I'll make a beeline for them first. Just kind of a way to keep it, um, keep your options uh, in mind. And then the last third is the fun and the chaos. And it's the part that the newbies are always very terrified of. And then anybody who's done it once before knows that it's a piece of cake and it's just so much fun. So the final third, um, we'll just make an announcement and say, okay, go back to your sheets, check it out, see what people have written down, kind of get a sense for what you're most excited to swap for. And then literally go across the room and talk to somebody, you know, take your jar of whatever it is, take your bag, take your whatever, approach someone and say, Hey, I noticed on my form that you were interested or don't say that. Like if they didn't write it down, nobody's stopping you. You can just walk right up and say, I made this. Would you like to trade? Um, and we always like to remind people, you never have to accept the trade. It's your, your choice. Nobody would force you to go to the grocery store and buy something you didn't want to buy. Um, but at the same time I've experienced over the years, you know, I'm a, I'm a gracious person, so I want to try. And especially I've noticed that, um, you know, when maybe someone who's new to food preserving or new to kind of culinary experiments or whatever is there, um, maybe they're a little timid and they're not sure that you would want to trade. But you know what? Sometimes you can discover such fun things trading with someone. Maybe it's not something you would normally choose to, to buy or to eat. Maybe it's not something that really excites you when you look at it. But then you might take it home and be totally shocked that the flavors are amazing. Or you might just make a connection with somebody who turns into you know, friend that you see the next time and you can have a conversation about how great that thing was that they made. Um, so it's a little bit free form, uh, but that's kind of the joy of it. And I think that's why I like seeing it so much. It's not, it's not terribly prescriptive. You're not locked in. Um, and every time that you come, it's a brand new set of, it's not a brand new set of people. We get about two third repeats and a third new newbies every time, but it's always a brand new array of goods and you never quite know what you're going to expect to get. And uh, it's a treat. So the motivation then really is to is to come and explore, um, to bring something to share, and to and to figure out you know what else is out there and try new things. Um, and ultimately, it sounds like community building um, that you're kind of forced into a room where you have to interact with people that um, you know who obviously might have very different uh, food skills than you do. So you're exchanging information. So it sounds like just a really energetic time. It is. And it's so fun. And, you know, you mentioned you're, you're forced into a room with people. It, it's in Portland. We have such a, we have such a beautiful, diverse, crazy uh, city. There are people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all experiences. It's wonderful. And, and yet it's sometimes hard to connect with people that are beyond maybe your kind of initial ring of, of friends and family and the people that you're yep. comfortable hanging out with. Mm -hmm. And I found in this group, we get all sorts and I love it. And you'll see people that show up that would probably never have chosen to go to the same type of event, except that food brings them together. And you can survey this crowd of people. And, you know, I mean, I'm judging outwardly by what people have chosen to wear, what they might look like or whatever, how they present themselves. But you can just see it's so obvious. They're this rich kind of tapestry of all walks and they all show up for this thing. And I think because there's, you know, because there's no money involved, that right there strips out a huge kind of set of barriers for folks because it's food and you've had to make it yourself, you're bringing part of who you are, whatever you've chosen to make is a little bit of a reflection of who you are. Um, yeah. And because food is so intriguing, that becomes a motivator to walk over and connect with somebody that you might not have otherwise. I just love it. I really do. Yeah. No, it sounds like that 
controlled chaos of community. Uh, it's just, there's such joy, it's such unpredictability coming yeah. into it, um, but yeah. there's such joy that comes out of that. And I wonder, um, sort of how, do you have a story or an illustration of how this food swap has actually built community beyond just the exchange of food? Um, a way that, that people have connected or different groups of people might have connected that otherwise might not have been able to do so or would have struggled to do so? That's a good question. I mean, I'll just, an obvious quick one for myself is that the very first night that we hosted, um, two women showed up that I hadn't really spent time with. But one, I'd seen, I'd seen her face before at a, a common gathering, but I had never interacted with her. Um, and then another woman that I'd never met before. But the two of them showed up. And it turns out the first woman has become a good friend and she's taken over as co-host of the swap um, after my original friend Emily had moved away. Um, and so, so this woman, Lindsay, she and I have gotten to be friends now over these last several years and we've cared for this little thing as our own. And I mean, that right there is just one unexpected, wonderful friendship that came out of, of hosting that swap. Um, and the second woman, um, Melanie, is just a kick in the pants. She tells the story about how she, she didn't even sign up for the first one. She was literally walking down the street the night that the event was happening and noticed that, you know, it was December and it was rainy, cold Portland. And here was this shop front all lit up with lights and all these people bustling around inside. And she's a total foodie. So she could see through the window that there was stuff all over the tables and, you know, what was this? So she came wandering in and discovered what it was and signed up to be on the mailing list. And she's been a faithful swapper ever since. One of the sad and hard things of this past year, maybe it was a year and a half ago now, is that Melanie, the same woman who's been a wonderful swapper, wonderful part of the community, um, experienced a house fire and lost lost everything, you know? And in the experience of trying to come around her together, being able to put her GoFundMe, you know, link into our swapper newsletter where we can send updates to our little community. It was really, you know, it was nice to be able to reach out and to say, hey, here's someone that we all recognize and know and love because she's just a spunky, fun personality and she brings great food and she's always bringing her smiling face to hang out. Um, she's also the master of the three-way swap. Like she will not, she does not care. If she doesn't want what you have, she will be very blunt and say so. But then she'll also work to go find a third person. Like, hey, if I trade with you and if you trade with them and if we trade back around, we can make this work for ourselves. Um, but anyway, to be able to connect her with, with our little community um, during that time was, was meaningful to me. Um, what else? There have been opportunities I've seen to bring um, folks from, well, I'll, I'll give you a recent example of just connecting um, one of the brand new swappers. Like I said, every time that we host, we get usually about a third of the folks that come are, are brand new that have heard about it before, but have never been. Um, that seems like a crazy turnover. Like, well, and the thing is we cap it at 35 people usually, depending on, that's kind of our max. Sometimes we'll cap it at 25 if we're in a little smaller venue. Um, so the demand is a lot higher than the number of spaces, you know, so sometimes. Gotcha. Okay. We'd have, but we'll have plenty of people that might skip skip one or skip three and then show up again later. And, you know, so it's not like a third never come back. It's more just a joy that we have a third, you know, that are always fresh faces showing up yeah. um, to, to come. So that actually, that means a lot to me too, just in the sense that we didn't create this insular little bubble of people that just continue to come together over and over. And it's yeah. only us that we continue to bring um, folks from outside. But this wonderful woman just came this previous time. Um, and she's originally from Japan and was also um, hosting a delegation from Japan. Uh, the Japanese Edible Schoolyard program, you know, the sister organization to Alice Waters' project in Berkeley. And so these wonderful people from Japan came to the end of our swap. They didn't want to be there right during the frenzy because there really wasn't enough elbow room to accommodate another 
three or four people, but they came at the end and saw the, the aftermath of people kind of tucking their goods away with big smiles on their faces and leaving with all this delicious stuff. Um, and they stayed and chatted for quite a while with me and are excited to take um, the same concept back and, and work with the kids and work with the adults that are part of their same community um, and keep swapping going there. Like I'm curious, um, just on a really practical front, like how often does it meet and how do you get a spot? If you Like how do you get to be one of those 35? <laughs> oh gosh, it meets, Lindsay, my co-host and I joke all the time, like we are working mamas with no spare time and this is our little labor of love. It's totally volunteer. So we just, we do it when we can. We aim for once a quarter. One year, a few years back, we were trying to be ambitious and do it every other month, and it just was, it was too much. But that said, um, like I said, demand is so high, and I feel bad that we can't do it more frequently, just as last time. Um, those spots filled up in 18 hours. Like, I sent, the, I sent the email notification. If you're on the email list, you get first dibs in terms of knowing about it. So the email goes out to the list of people um, that have expressed interest, and there's a link um, in the email to a sign-up form, and we just use Google Docs, and we just use a Google form for sign-up. And um, anyway, so that goes out first. And then maybe the following day, if there are any spots left, we'll post it over in the Facebook group or mention it over on the Instagram account um, and spread word that way. Um, but basically, folks will, will sign up through the Google Doc and that'll spit out the spreadsheet on the back end for Lindsay and I to keep track of. And we can see the cutoff point when we've filled up and then we just turn the form off. Um, and... I don't know. I wish I could automate it better. I wish I was a little bit more of a tech savvy developer that could make my own, uh, you know, wonderful program to run all of this because it is a labor of love. And I, because it's cashless, we're not running with a big operating budget of money to spend on things, you know, so we, we pay for our domain registration and we pay for a couple odds and ends like that. Um, but really just kind of bootstrap it however we can to keep track of folks. I know other swaps have used things like Eventbrite or, um, I can't think of, of names off the top of my head. Other, you know, other places have, have gone that direction to paying for services too, where you can kind of make it a little more streamlined. Um, but then I've also noticed that they've ended up having to kind of bring income in some way or, or do things like that. And I just haven't wanted to, I haven't wanted to mess with the good thing. I really love that it's not reliant on money. So we'll keep bootstrapping it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, I have a, a faith community and church hat on. And when I hear you talking about the food swap, my immediate corollary is, oh, that sounds like church community. Uh, but I'm also, I'm, I'm reticent to just to stand, to put, overlay church onto everything. Mm -hmm. But I am curious, I know that you are somebody who identifies as someone, as a person of faith. Um, mm -hmm. How does the, the food swap connect to you and your faith? Or do you consider it some part of, you know, you called it a labor of love. Is there some ministry aspect in it as you're bringing people together? I don't think I would, you know, put a label on it or say that this is some sort of mission field to be out working in, you know, it, but it, it resonates with me so deeply because I feel like it's such a good example of how we're created to be with each other. We're created to be, um, you know, tenders and stewards and we're created to be creative and share. Um, so it brings me so much joy to see that possibility made public, you know, for people to show up and be a part of that. And maybe especially people that haven't been in a church or a faith community, maybe I, I take that part of life for granted because I grew up with it and because I've chosen to stay in that kind of a space, you know, so I, I do get to come and share meals together with, um, with people that are, are accepting and loving and, and we get to have that kind of community space provided and built for us. But think about it. Yeah. For, for many people, it's not on the table and you end up in this insular existence and, um, 
And how special is it that we can create a place where you can bring your own offering of who you are and what you created and have it accepted in a place where people are, you know, filled with joy to receive something and they value it too. I think um, it's just such a beautiful picture, I guess, of, of, of life, like lived out well, lived fully. And um, any more of these days where, you know, labels and bad habits and bad examples of living life have just taken the spotlight. I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted by that. And I don't think I have it in me to combat it on some big giant level. Uh, but this is such a unique and special and real tangible way to see the goodness of, of human life and um, sharing sharing like the essence of what makes us human. You know, like we have to, we have to eat food. We have to sustain ourselves. Um, sort of bring that piece together. Um, it's really soul satisfying for me. It's still, you know, as much as I do complain about like, ah, the spreadsheet behind the scenes or the, you know, keeping up with getting, getting updates posted or, or keeping track of registrations, you know, like there are those little nitpicky parts of it that can be a little bit of a burden when I've already got 5 million other things on my to-do list but I love the end result and that's why I keep doing it. Um, well, thank you for that. And I think that people will be excited to learn about how one could start a, their own food swap in their own community because I think, um, I know that they're popping up all over the place yeah. and it would be um, neat to see how, how the crossover works. It's so much fun. And I know we've had, we've had all these years of kind of keeping our consistent um, format but then we've also broken the mold a couple of times and had fun kind of larger events. Um, Kate, who was one of the very original food swappers in Brooklyn and in Austin, she wrote a couple of books and ended up coming through on, on book tours and visited Portland. So we had like a swap in her honor and then hung around and had potluck afterwards. And uh, she got to do like reading from her book and hang out and that sort of thing. And last summer, I'm thinking about this wonderful um, couple that has a farm on Savi Island outside of Portland. And they opened their giant, beautiful barn doors to us. And we got to have a couple summertime swaps. And since they had all the space anyway, uh, we went ahead and invited folks to bring potluck food and bring picnic blankets. And one woman brought her fiddle. You know, like we just had music and we had a meal and, and grew it into something a little bit bigger even than the swap. I actually kind of joke because the swap, we used to say that it would go from 4 to 5.30 and honestly, people would clear out so much faster than that because they're all busy. Like, we're going to show up and we're going to do this swap. And they were so antsy to get it done. And we would look around at 5.15 and we would, be, we would be done. People had smiles on their faces, but they were done. They're headed out the door and we're cleaning up and everybody's just efficient and, and ready to go. So, um, so yeah, we, we keep it to our narrow window, but then we also try to every now and then pull out all the stops and make it a little bit more of a, a celebration, which I think is a good idea as well for folks that might be interested in starting their own is, you know, get get a little bit of an exciting extra to throw in there. Maybe if you're trying to get it going the first time, maybe invite a group of friends that you know will show up and then add a couple of extra incentives, um, whether it's potluck, whether it's music, whether it's, I don't know, there are probably plenty of ideas that we could brainstorm, but inviting people in um, to just give them a taste of what it's like. Because I found all of the newbies that show up and they're a little bit nervous and they're kind of standing at the corner and they're asking, so wait, how does this work? And, uh, and looking around. And by the end of the first one, they totally get it. They walk out the door and say, absolutely, I see how this is. And they'll show up the next time, like full on confidence and can run with it. So just getting people in the door to see what it's like um, is, I don't know, seven eighths of the battle. And then you're pretty much done after that. Everyone will enjoy it. And um, and you'll go home with so many delicious foods. We joke at the end of our swaps that the really the only thing you need afterward is goat cheese and a baguette because 
if you have those two things, you can add anything else that you've gotten from the swap and have a complete meal. Um, you're good to go. Episode title. There it is. Love it. But before you go, we definitely want to hear about the book that you're writing and that you're working on um, to give our listeners a little taste of what they can look forward to in the next couple of years. Um, and I think it connects so well with this, with the podcast and how food and faith and being engaging the two can really be a transformative experience. Um, I know that you have were led basically around the world by your exploration <laughs> of food, and uh, I'd love it if you just want to share just briefly with our listeners the um, inspiration for your book and maybe what it is that you now in your life now are continuing to learn from those stories as you're as you're working them over. Sure. You're such a sweetheart. Thanks for being my beta reader in the background, helping me wade through this manuscript because it's, I feel like it's unwieldy, but I am excited to eventually get it out into the world. Um, it's going to so, be good friends. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was the nerdy kid that heard about the idea of around the world plane ticket back when I was almost 20 years old. Um, and I was going to study abroad in New Zealand, but a coworker told me like, oh yeah, in the sixties, my friends got Pan Am's around the world tickets for however much money they were. Like it sounded like a cheap amount. And as long as you flew the same direction, you could just keep, keep on going around the planet for a year. So that little idea lodged in my head and would never, ever, ever go away. Um, and so during my twenties, during this whole season of food swapping and learning about local foods and sourcing, you know, terrifically raised and produced meats and vegetables and all that sort of thing. Um, I was also nurturing this little dream of getting out to, to go and travel and see what was out there in the wide, wide world. Um, and I convinced my husband to come along. He was a good sport. <laughs> so at a certain point, we had saved enough to make it possible and also enough to kind of freak out and be like, okay, this is one giant gamble. I hope this works out because uh, it was toward the end of the crazy recession days but it wasn't really in the clear yet. And I went ahead and quit my job and my husband quit his job and we got on the plane with one-way tickets and set out. So um, the stories that I'm excited to share in my book um, really revolve around my, my hunger to go out and taste the world, right? I'm a foodie at heart and I just loved the idea that I would be able to go and taste things where they were originally grown, where they were originally made, taste things that it wouldn't matter how many years of trying to live like a pure and clean hundred mile diet in the Northwest. Like I would never be able to get cinnamon and ripe mangoes and you know all, all of these amazing foods that are going to by default come from somewhere other than Oregon <laughs> um, so I wanted to go out and see them I wanted to see how they were produced I wanted to taste them I wanted to um, meet the people along the way because I think that especially when you follow your follow your hungers toward foods if you scratch the surface a little bit you'll start to see all the people that are beneath that whether they're the producers the growers the preparers the servers um, just the fellow consumers since we all love to eat uh, and so this trip took me all around the world. I got to go to every continent except Antarctica and Australia, although I did go to New Zealand, so I feel like Oceania, like that kind of, kind of counts for that. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm just weaving all of these tales and weaving my background as who I am as this, um, you know, conservative homeschool kid who grew up in rural Oregon and moved to the city. I ended up in the years before we left on the trip, but after I graduated from college, my husband and I, um, lived in transitional housing. Part of his job was working at a, a shelter for homeless families. And we ended up being able to be on the ground floor of starting this new program where we were inviting um, graduates from that um, shelter into a kind of a new life of 
getting back on their feet and getting stability in their lives. And so we got to be neighbors with folks from um, all different walks that ended up here as neighbors in Portland. Um, it's funny though, because I reflect on it now and I realize all of these cravings that I'd had to connect with people from different cultures and to have these different meals. And it's so interesting. God dropped this entire experience right in the middle of my lap before I ever left on that first plane trip. And I ended up having um, about a year and a half of living with people literally from all over the world. We had folks from um, overseas that had moved to America and we had people from across the state that had shown up in the city and we had people from across the neighborhood that I wouldn't have ever known otherwise, but ended up being next door with and we shared meals. And so there are all these kind of woven themes that I would really love to be able to, to share in a way that's um, engaging, but also kind of heartfelt and thought provoking. That's my, that's my ultimate desire. So when the book is ready, you will get a copy and, and we'll have you back on the pod to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I couldn't help but just kind of put together sort of the two ends of our conversation today that on one hand, you know, um, and I love hearing you talk about homeschool because we're homeschool parents and okay. trying to yeah. figure out like, you know, what that means and where that's yeah. going and all that. And so your willingness to go out and to experience our globe and the beauty mm-hmm. of, you know, culture and environment and all those kind of things. But then your willingness to bring that home and to try to, to try to create, you know, as much as we can, diverse spaces, um, beautifully uh, global, if you will, spaces mm-hmm. in your own local community and sort of the interplay that we can be, uh, you know, committed to our hometowns mm-hmm. and also have a global perspective are not uh, mutually exclusive, that we can, we can have a really wide view and really care about, you know, the five mile radius around us at, mm-hmm. at the same time. And that's a theme that just comes through for me very clearly. Um, and I, I, I can't wait to read this book to just hear how, how that plays out for you. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think it's such a gift as a, as a kid. I mean, speaking to you as a homeschool parent, since you've got your own kids and you're watching this now, I was on the receiving end. Um, and I received such a gift of curiosity and permission to just, you know, ask questions and keep exploring and go figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty cool to, to look over my own children now that I'm an adult and I've got two little girls um, and we're not homeschooling, but they're in Montessori school. And I feel like that's kind of cultivating these same sorts of explorations and, and curiosities in them. And I'm so grateful that I was given that gift of a way to see the world. And I agree, you know, you, you see the world as it is around you, wherever you are living. You see the world as it is when you go out into it farther than you could be when you were living at home. Um, but the integration of those messages and those lessons uh, is so vital to being a good neighbor and to being a good traveler. It's to being a good human to, to understand that your experience is yours. And there are so many other ones all over the planet and understanding how to to honor what people are bringing from who they are and from where they've come from and to give yourself as a gift and to do it in a way that doesn't feel like a threat at all. It's just a giving and a sharing. Um, it's such a, it's such a beautiful experience that I've had the privilege of, of feeling firsthand in other countries and now back at home. And I think when I look around and I see, I see examples of inhospitable, inhospitable, uh, kind of just closed off fear, you know, I, I see that and I just ache and I long for people to have a chance to taste something different because I think once you realize that there's a gift in community and sharing with each other, then it opens your eyes to such a different experience of life for yourself, for your family, for your kids, for your neighborhood. Um, and I would just hope that people can continue to, to learn that and to do it in, in a way that doesn't feel like a threat, but it feels like receiving a gift. And yeah, so that's why I hope the swap functions that way in a little tiny microcosm yep. of the world. And I hope my stories will function that way a little bit when I get them out in print and we'll see where it goes. Our time together asking our guests, what brings you hope? 
and what are the things that when you wake up in the morning and you see kind of the the hard and broken parts of the community and world that you're in what what keeps you going what um what draws you forward towards creating that more just and generous world that I think we all long and hope for yeah that's a good question I think I'm an idealist at heart so I have that going for me I still (laughs) I still wake up and think of what it could be and I want to get there um I'm grateful for the chances though in my in my life right now I'm a mom to two little girls that are five and three and my five-year-old especially just she'll pipe up and say the the funniest or the most profound things at times and it really humbles me and it really helps me to retain hope in the face of all the cynicism in the world because here's this you know not entirely pure of heart five-year-old <laughs> pretty close the tantrums happen too but you know there are moments where she she's learning about the wide world and she's learning about what it means to be loving and to be peaceful and to be uh, caring about other people and when i hear those things coming back from her i recognize that it's a combination of what i've been able to cultivate in her as a parent what god has given her in her own little spirit as she's shown up on this planet and gets to be a part of who we are um, what she's learning in her school community i just i so love and respect the teachers that are in her life and the peers too that are helping kind of mold her picture of the world. And so I see that and I see my little girls and I think, okay, like there's, there's hope. It's hard work, but there's hope for intentionally cultivating these attitudes in our kids and seeing that come to life um, as they grow and mature because my parents did it for me. You know, they saw what they saw in the world and they chose to raise me the way that they wanted to raise me. And they chose to plant these things in my heart and mind. And I've taken those things and examined them for myself and tried to figure out what I can do with it and how I can ask the right questions and explore more and um, do what I can do in my little sphere. And I see that as a direct result to the things they, they planted in me. So hopefully if I can keep planting that in my kids and if we can collectively um, aim for that better world, even when we're looking around and seeing the frustrating pieces of it, I think we can hold on to hope. And I think, um, you know, the second thing just on a really pragmatic level that brings me some hope is that every week, not every week, but every week that I manage to go, <laughs> We we attend a, a home church where we just show up and have a meal together at the beginning of the evening. Um, and I love the picture of what that is because it ends up just being conversation around the table for the first bit of time. And it's folks that don't share eye to eye views on everything, but we have a heart full of love for God, for the community that he's given us, for the world that we live in. And we get to bring our food and share it with each other and then try to work out what it means to be alive in this day and age and to be part of, of who we are and where we are. So those things keep me going. Alive in this day and age and the way that you have, the way that you have spoken about letting that play out and offering one's gift, oneself as gift um, has been really, really inspirational. And thank you um, for challenging and inviting us into that. Um, we hope that our listeners will continue to follow you and, and, and to hear that message. And so um, how, how is it that people can connect with you? Um, how would you like them to interact with your work? Um, which Lord willing will also be um, pre-ordering your book and inviting many, many others to do so. so thank you. Um, Someday. So, yeah. so yeah, where, where can they keep up with you? Um, you can find, I don't know. I'm a little bit here, a little bit there. I have the, um, Two Oregonians, T-W-O-O-R-E-G-I. I can't even spell Oregonians off the top of my head. 
you'll link to it, right? Tulagonians.com is my my web. Spelling was my least favorite and worst subject growing up and spell check (laughs) saved my butt. So now as a writer, I actually established some better. I was going to say, so naturally you're a writer. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Um, So I'm from Oregon. Can't spell the thing for that. No. And anyway, Tulagonians.com is the the website that was uh, built for my travels and it's kind of been a lingering ongoing place. Um, It's pretty quiet these days with a few book updates and things here and there. But I think when the time comes, and it bursts into life, that will be a good spot to find me. In the meantime, I'm over on Instagram um, at Bethany Ridmark. And that's probably the easiest way to get a peek into life. Um, it's a mixture of my landscape architecture work and my food and my kids and my travels and a little bit of everything. But I love to, to hear from folks there and connect. And if you ever want to just drop me an email, I love to hear from people, bethany.ridmark at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, someday when I have a lovely book to share with all of you, I would be so honored to have you read it. So thanks for inviting me to chat today. And if I can point people in the direction of food swap, um, information too, I would love to do that. PDXfoodswap.com is our local group. And then there are links on that page to get over to the food swap network and to find resources to host your own. I love to pat people on the back and say, you can do it because it's really fun and it's pretty simple and you'll have a great time. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bethany. It's been great chatting with you and we will plan to have you back on when the book comes out, if not before. (laughs) Thanks, Anna. Be well, friend. (laughs) Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest University School of Divinity, Plainsong Farm, Garden Church, and the Keep and Till. And the music is by Paul Deaver. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.